Hey there, friend. Listen, I want to invite you to join me for an upcoming presentation I'm offering called How to Shift from Willpower to Want Power. If you're tired of feeling like you have the best of intentions with food and weight, only to have it all fall by the wayside by the time your head hits the pillow at night, then this is for you. If you're interested in making permanent weight loss easier and less of a struggle, then this is for you. If you're curious what want power is, which you probably should be, and can't wait to learn how to incorporate it into your journey toward peace and freedom around food, then this is for you. I'll be presenting live twice on Wednesday, May 1st, 2024, at both noon and 7.30 p.m. Central Time Zone. I'll answer your questions live and we'll have a really good time together. But if you can't make either of those days, I'm not going to make you get a replay emailed into your inbox only for it to get lost and never be watched no matter how deeply you want to make time to go through it. Because I mean, honestly, who are we kidding? (laughs) We've all done this, including me. No, instead, we are offering multiple watch parties for several days after the live presentation. So come watch the replay with other doctors and interact in the chat with them and my team. So either way, whether you come live or to a watch party, it will be worth your time for sure. All you have to do is register at katrinaubellmd.com forward slash want power. That's katrinaubellmd.com forward slash w-a-n-t-p-o-w-e-r. See you there. You are listening to the Weight Loss for Busy Physicians podcast with Katrina Ubell, MD, episode number 225. Welcome to the Weight Loss for Busy Physicians podcast. I'm your host, Master Certified Life and Weight Loss Coach, Katrina Ubell, MD. This is the podcast where busy doctors like you come to learn how to lose weight for the last time by harnessing the power of your mind. If you're looking to overcome your stress eating and exhaustion and move into freedom around food, you're in the right place. Well, hey there, my friend. Welcome back to the podcast. I'm so glad you're here today. I've got a great episode today. If you're new, then welcome. And regardless of whether you're a physician or not, you're going to get some good help today. Although if you are a doctor, there's some real good sleep help in here. Honestly, I got so many questions answered that I've been wondering about for a really, really long time. I think all of us know that sleep is important and many, if not most of us do not prioritize it enough. But when you're a doctor, if you have any kind of nighttime obligations it can be so hard to figure out what to do with your sleep. And you're going to get some great help today. So today I interviewed Dr. Carol Yuen Duclair. She is a board certified physician in pulmonary critical care, internal medicine, and sleep medicine. And she has an amazing sleep health, telehealth sleep service for women. It's called Be High Sleep Health. She'll tell you all about it on the episode here, but she's worked in private practice and in hospital settings, treating patients with sleep disorders. She 
has dedicated her curiosity really to helping women get better sleep so they can lead better lives. I mean, we all know that good sleep is important for us, but what do you do when that seems like it's impossible or you get into a good little routine and then you have to take in-house call or you have to take home call and you get woken up a lot or just changes happen in our lives? We might notice that as our bodies change and we age, that sleep just isn't what it used to be with perimenopause and menopause. And so we dig into all of that today, as well as the importance of sleep in the relation to weight loss. So it's kind of like when you don't sleep well, that can cause weight gain. It's not great for you from a weight perspective. Getting good sleep is really important for weight loss. And so I always feel like I I kind of had some knowledge, but I'm certainly not an expert in this area. So while it's something that I help my clients with, I certainly am not an expert of you know, for dealing with significant sleep issues, but Dr. Carol is, and she is a great resource. So we had a great conversation talking about all the different things. And if you struggle with sleep, if you know that that is an issue for you, if you want someone's, you know, very intelligent brain on your sleep issue, then Dr. Carol is your person. So I think you're going to really enjoy this episode. I know I did. I asked a lot of questions that were like, hey, listen, I've always wanted to know this. So make sure you tell me. (laughs) So I think you're going to really enjoy it a lot. I do want to ask that if you enjoy this episode, please share it with someone that you know, someone who could benefit from this. Um, it's, It's just it's important for so many women to understand and to get this information, whether you end up working with Dr. Carol or me or somebody else, it's just important that we get this message out there. So I would love it if you would share it. All right. And with that, I will give you my conversation with Dr. Carol. Carol, welcome to the podcast. I'm so excited to have you here today. Yeah. Thank you, Katrina. I'm I'm very happy to be here. Wonderful. Okay. So the first thing that I want to ask you about, because I have lots of questions for you. This is actually really perfect timing because I actually didn't sleep very well last night. (laughs) And I'm normally a pretty good sleeper. So I have a lot of sleep questions, but my first question for you, I'm just curious, how do you define a good night's sleep? How would somebody know? Mm. I think the best way to define is how you feel the next morning. So if you wake up feeling refreshed, ready to get started with the day, that means you had pretty decent night's sleep. In the long run, I think to define if someone is a good sleeper, that is several things. One is, again, how they feel in the morning, the amount of sleep they get, the quality of sleep, and just making sure also that there's not any concerning sleep problems that may be signs of any sleep disorders. Okay. Okay. So here's another question I have. I feel like some people will say, you know, when I get enough sleep, I just like, I wake up and I'm ready to start the day and I jump out, you know, out of bed. I'm not sure ever a day in my life, no matter how much sleep I've gotten that I felt that way. I'm like, if you give me like 30 to 45 minute Warm up period <laughs> while I'm coming back into the world. Then I'm like, okay, is that considered normal if I'm feeling great throughout the the rest of the day, or is it really normal to wake up and feel like ready to go? You know, feet on the ground, tons of energy. What would you have taking 30, 40 minutes to transition? That's completely normal, and that's why for some people we recommend a wake up routine because it does take time. So wake up routine could be just getting some food, drinking water to light exercises. 
getting plenty of sunlight to let your body know that it's morning, reset that clock. And I usually recommend that could, for some people could take up to 90 minutes, it, it, which is the, the same amount of time as a cycle, as a sleep cycle. Definitely. That, that's normal. That is normal. Okay. Cause yeah, I think for a long time I've been like, maybe something's not right, that I don't feel more chipper. Like the minute I wake up, it's just not me. Okay. So so we're going to get into all kinds of solutions on, you know, what to do if you have all kinds of different issues with your sleep. But I do definitely want to talk about sleep and overweight. I was kind of thinking about this. And to me, it's a little bit like the chicken and the egg in the sense that when you don't sleep well, that can negatively impact your weight, but reducing your weight, like and getting to a healthy weight can actually really improve your sleep. So it's like this <laughs> kind of this cycle. So let's talk more about not getting enough sleep and how that can contribute to overweight. Yeah, absolutely. And I think what you're saying, the chicken and egg is, is sleep and weight, but also sleep and everything else because sleep is really related to all aspects of health. So medical issues, mood, our performance, pain, everything is like, it's bi-directional, but specifically regarding weight. So when sleep is short, then weight gain is a definite. And that's because short sleep makes us hungry, crave for unhealthy high calorie foods, slows down our metabolism, we burn less fat, and, and it makes our bodies look flabby. So Sleep is essential when we want to lose weight, both in terms of getting to our goal weight, maintaining the weight, and just getting fit and feeling strong. But this is the thing. Sleep also makes your job easier. And the, the analogy I use is like your favorite kitchen appliance, a slow cooker or a crock pot, you know, how it amplifies the result of your work and saves time. and once you see the benefit, you're like, how did I ever do without it? And, and that's sleep when it comes to losing weight because it, it revs up our basal metabolic rate. It reduces our craving and it helps to burn more fat. So that's how sleep in and of itself is very powerful in helping us with weight management. Yeah, totally. Wow. <laughs> yeah. And so the amount of sleep you need, though, is going to be determined by how you're feeling in the morning, like you said, because not everybody's going to be the same, correct? Or is there like a minimum that you're like, listen, below this, regardless of how you feel, you need to do something? Because you get those people who are like, listen, I feel great on four hours a night. Yeah. Do okay. So <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if we believe them. <laughs> Let me very indirectly get to that to, to, to answer that. But I think it's, you, you probably tell people this all the time, there's no ideal weight, right? So there is also no ideal amount of sleep. There is the general recommendation, the seven to nine hours, but that is just that bell curve where most people need that. So there are definitely people who fall on either side of that curve. But most generally, most people, we need at least six hours, minimum six hours. When someone say they're doing great on four hours, the, the, what I think, the first thing I, I'm, the question I'm asking is, how do you know? 
how do you know that what you're defined as great is not just the baseline that you've gotten used to? Right. You don't even know how good you could feel. You're like, I feel great, but you don't know that that's actually not that great compared to how good you could feel. Exactly. Uh, yeah. Okay. That because some people like it's a source of pride, you know, like I just do really, really well without needing any sleep. Interestingly, I just a, a night or two ago, I actually saw in the New York Times that there was a some study that they were reporting on that said that if you consistently in middle age get six or fewer hours of sleep, or maybe it was fewer than six hours of sleep, that increases your risk for dementia in your 70s. And I was like, well, there you go. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that that's big these days. It's the uh, association between short sleep and increased risk for dementia. Yeah, yeah. Well, and definitely nobody wants that for sure. So are there certain sleep issues that you see more commonly in women or that seem to be worse in women? When you're thinking about sleep in women, what are the common things that they're dealing with? So I think what's unique to women is the challenges that we face. So our, our, our bodies change, and that includes menstrual cycle, pregnancy, menopause, means that our sleep patterns change too. Because sleep is multidimensional, it, it is also psychological, social, cultural, environmental, the gender biases that women face in our society and culture can impact sleep as well. So just... For an example, women carry most of the caregiving responsibilities from childcare to taking care of aging parents and family members. That is related to women experiencing and reporting more commonly than men, anxiety and stress, both of which we know is associated with insomnia. Then when women do go to the doctor and talk about their symptoms, a lot of times they get dismissed to just being their anxiety and stress. And so leading to delayed or misdiagnosis of problems, including sleep disorders. So it's like, it's a perfect storm of, of all the reasons why women can't sleep. Yeah. So where do you even start to tease that apart? <laughs> women needs a lot of structure and framework because we anticipate these challenges that's going to come up. So what I do is for every woman, I first start with a medical evaluation. I'm just making sure that there's not a sleep disorder. Healthy sleep is the foundation of sleep health. And how I like to compare is it's like cooking. You want to use the best and fresh ingredients. Sleep free from the burden of any disorders. It's like the fabric of a true good sleep. And then the next step is I help women discover and learn about their chronotype. So that's their sleep circadian rhythm, which is unique to everybody, just like the amount of sleep we need. And use that as an anchor. And then we build out sleep flow. What I call sleep flow is a sleep schedule, but it's more adaptable, flexible, and less stressful. And the reason I, I do that is because we hear it all the time that people say, oh, get eight hours of sleep or, or there are these 5 a.m. club. Yes, <laughs> people love that. Yes, I'm not a member of that club. <laughs> Good, because 
we're all different. And sleep, sleep shouldn't be one size fit all. So what I believe is sleep is, it's important for us to understand what matters when it comes to sleep and, and stick with the principles and not just a laundry list of universal sleep hygiene. And when women have their sleep flow, they understand their sleep flow, they're in charge. And that's very empowering because a lot of times women feel that sleep is out of their control and that causes anxiety and stress. So that, that's the general, the, the process that I mm-hmm. work with. You go through. Yeah. I love that. I was wondering, you know, obviously many, many doctors have disrupted sleep for a variety of reasons. And I was wondering if you had some, some thoughts, I'm not you know, a huge fan of like the tips, tricks and life hacks kind of a thing, but like, if you could offer something that could be tangible, that somebody could, could actually apply and maybe see some results. The first thing that comes to mind is all of our friends who work night shifts, you know, or, or working shift work, particularly people who are working like that rotating schedule, which my understanding is that, you know, the research shows it's terrible for you to do that. But if that is your, you know, job and for better, or for worse, that's what you're going to be doing for the, you know, next, however long, what can you do to support yourself with sleep? Yeah. Shift work really is I feel like it's it's the it's it's like it's the it's the mother of sleep problems. It, it completely disrupts your our circadian rhythm, and unfortunately, I, I know a lot of us in healthcare have to deal with that. So specifically, and I think that that's just a, a another a beast on its own. And specifically for that, I think it, it's almost like when we say when we have the three legged stool or healthy lifestyles, diet, exercise, and sleep. If sleep is just unfortunately has to be a little bit wobbly because of work, the other part has to be particularly strong. So you have to really make sure that the other two are are good. Yeah, and then for sleep itself, because the the schedule is all off, then you then you, when it's possible, you want to use all of the external cues that's available to you to reinforce your circadian rhythm. When, when you're back from an overnight shift, don't go to bed right away, but really get a, a lot of sunlight as much as possible. And then calculate, already plan out your sleep schedule. So you know when you need to go to bed so that you can get that seven, eight hours of sleep before you have to get up for work again. So know what that time is and make a plan for the schedule before that so you can get enough sunlight, eat and drink, but maybe do all have all of that two to three hours before your, your bedtime. So it's a matter of planning for changes to align yourself better with your social biology clock or social clock, I should say. And and the purpose of the sunlight then is to keep the circadian rhythm, like to help your brain know what time it is. Is that the purpose of it? I'm, I'm asking, it's actually really interesting. When I was a resident, actually, when I was an intern, they decided to, the program decided to just do kind of like a, a test situation where some of the residents, so some of the interns would just do a whole month of nights. So rather than, you know, having to take regular call every fourth night or whatever, you you could just work a whole month of nights. And I ended up working a month of nights in kind of like the step down ICU. 
Was he a pulmonologist? I don't remember who. Anyway, one of the one of the, <laughs> the doctors there came and spoke to us and was saying how, like, what you need to do is get the darkest sunglasses you can and hopefully ones that like, I mean, basically he was like, you want to block out as much light as possible on your way home from the hospital and then try to go to right to sleep, like keep it really, really, really dark. Of course, this was very challenging and I don't know if it really made any difference, but that's just, you know, and this was obviously a long time ago too. So just in direct opposition to what you're saying. So the purpose of that sunlight is for what? I think it, the, the, the difference may be what, what the exact schedule is. So let's say from you leaving the hospital to, to you coming, having to come back again, it's, it's only a little bit over eight hours then you need to spend most of the time sleeping. Then, then in that case, you don't want sunlight because it's confusing because your, your goal after leaving the hospital is you want to hit the bed and, and get some sleep. But if the, the hours between your shifts is, let's say, 12 hours or maybe a little, even a little bit longer. So maybe, maybe 14 say, or something. 16 yeah. hours, mm-hmm. 12 to yeah. Then, okay, so let's say 14 minus, let's just say seven of time that you're going to be sleeping. The rest of the seven, you're up. So that seven is where you can schedule and budget to see maybe a little bit of sunlight exposure. So just to give your body that external cue to have a better differentiation between day and night. Well, I was going to say, especially if you're only going to be working nights for a couple of nights, like for the people who are on that rotating schedule, it probably, it seems like it would make sense to like, don't forget body it's daytime. (laughs) You know what I mean? But, you know, compared to I'm working, you know, a whole week of nights, you know, ongoing, ongoing for, you know, for weeks on end. So yeah. Okay. I love that. That makes sense. And it sounds to me that what you're, what you're saying is very similar to actually what I recommend with eating with weight loss is like, there's not going to be a one size fits all kind of plan. Like anybody who tells you this is the way you should eat. I mean, it's probably just not going to be something that you, I mean, it might work for a little while, but it's probably not something you're going to be able to continue on long-term ongoing. And so what we want to find is something that's going to be an ongoing solution where you figure out what's best for you. So, you know, and you're in charge and, you know, if your sleep plan needs to change for whatever reason, you know how to change that and you can still take good care of yourself. Yeah, absolutely. To feel that you're in charge and control and to have a plan that fits your body, your biological clock, it's so important. Yeah, definitely. Okay. So then I was thinking about all the people who are getting woken up at night. And so, you know, obviously anybody who has an infant or, you know, a toddler who doesn't sleep through the night yet, that can be an issue. But even so, you know, I took home call when I was in practice. And so, you know, varied how often that was, but it was usually once or twice a week. You know, what I would find myself doing is like, I didn't want to have just fallen asleep for like 30 minutes before the pager went off, because then it would have been like, I took a nap and then I really couldn't fall back to sleep again for hours. So I would end up staying up super late, you know, and this is how I I would like justify it to myself because like maybe at 1130 or something, the pager would go off and I'd be like, see, I'm so glad I wasn't asleep. (laughs) It would have woken me up. But then of course, wouldn't, I wouldn't get enough rest. 
The next day, of course, feels terrible. Um, I usually would not be making up for it on the tail end or even pre-sleeping, you know, extra to make up for it. And then that cycle would continue on going. So I think they're there, you know, and, and I didn't even have to go in. I just had to like roll over and talk to people on the phone. Some people actually will have to potentially get up every time that pager goes off, they might have to go into the hospital or something. How, how do you approach that kind of a situation? The frequent awakenings. The frequent awakenings. Yeah, this is also just something that's completely external and it's bad for sleep. Yeah, right. Being a doctor is bad for your sleep. That's what we're learning here. (laughs) So I think hopefully what I would look at is how frequently does that happen? Hopefully that is not more than two to max three nights a week that you have to deal with that. And hopefully that's the case, then you want to make sure that the rest of the week, you really get protected, consolidated, good quality sleep. And for those nights that you're on call, consider, like what you were saying pre-sleep, consider napping, strategic napping. And that's 30 to sometimes even 90 minutes, depending on what you're trying to, to do and the timing of the nap. But use pre-sleep to catch up a little bit, even though it, it can never, we can never completely catch up on sleep, but this can at least help to offset that disturbance somewhat. So it seems like rather than, I mean, because you can't control it, like you could be woken up five times in the night by people calling you potentially, or you could, you know, if you have to get call, you called in and you have to deliver a baby or you have to operate on someone or whatever, it's out of your control. So instead focus on the days when it is in your control or the nights when it is in your control, really do the best you can there so that maybe it's not as much of a hit to your system when those nights are, aren't so great. Okay. Okay. So then we have people who have, like, they just have to take in-house call, right? <laughs> so, so, and so sometimes, you know, so they're sleeping in the hospital regardless, and maybe they might sleep all night. You know, there might be, there's, there's times where they don't get woken up. And then there's other times where they might be up all night or woken up a bunch of times. And I know that, I mean, I remember experiencing this as a resident and, and I, you know, hear about it from my clients all the time that just being in that environment, like the different environment and just, you know, it's like, no matter how much you kind of calm yourself. And we talk about things about like, you know, stress, you know, relief tactics and meditating and all these things you can do to calm your body. And like, get yourself into a parasympathetic state. I think there is just this part of your brain that is like, in that, in that, like almost like a fight or flight, like ready to pounce. I, I have to be ready to go at any moment, and that can make it hard to get good sleep. Yeah, I mean, there's no way for us to get into that parasympathetic mode when we're in the hospital because the whole reason you're in the hospital is someone potentially is going to need you, going to call right. you. Exactly, exactly. So yeah, so that even happens at home. I know a lot of people even taking call from home just in t- like anticipating that that beeper going off can can make them make it hard for them to fall asleep. So, I mean, just could, consider the night ruined. There is really nothing much we can do when you're sleeping in the hospital. And, and who knows what the lighting is like? I, I know the call room I've been in, it's, it's, it's never pitch dark. There's room, there's noise. Yeah. 
And you can't like do all the things to block that out because you need to be able to hear the yes. pager or your phone or whatever, right? Put in that earplug. <laughs> right. You, you need special earplugs that will wake you up for the thing you need to be woken up for. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> well, you know, I actually kind of like that. Like consider the night ruined, like rather than just like, I've got to figure out how to make this this like great night of sleep, just being like that night is just not going to be great. Most likely it's not my best work. And we're just going to do the best we can and really focus on the nights that you do have control over. I think that that is actually pretty empowering because then you can stop trying to spend so much time trying to figure out how to make the, the night in the hospital good. Now, is it, is this same, would the same thing apply to people who struggle to sleep when they travel? Like, I feel like as I've gotten older, you know, the first night in a hotel, even if I'm on vacation and I'm so happy to be there and it, you know, it's not like I don't feel safe or anything, but, but that first night is just never quite, quite as great. Yeah. Travel is the, the, another thing that disrupts our sleep. So one is because the environment is completely different things that you are used to associate with sleep is not there anymore. And then probably sometimes you have to deal with jet lag also. So that can interfere with sleep. So I think that depends on the, the depends on the person, what your issues are when you travel, what your sleep issues are when you travel and how much of a jet lag you need to adjust. There are still things that we can do not to make it completely go away, but maybe we can make that adjustment a little bit smoother, a little bit shorter. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's, I think that's, that's great. I, you know, I've always felt like I've been just like a great sleeper, solid sleeper. Like I was the kid, you know, any car trip wiped out completely asleep, you know, I could totally do that. But as I've gotten older, I'm 45 now, as I've gotten older, I've noticed that uh, there's a lot of things where it is harder or I'll think, you know, Oh, I'm so tired. I'm just going to take a nap. This would be the perfect time. And I just can't fall asleep. And I really wish I could. I try to just tell myself, well, resting and just resting was totally worth it. And that was still good. And I think it it is really easy to tell a very sad story to yourself about how awful you're going to feel because you didn't get enough sleep. And that, of course, then makes, you know, the experience of not having the sleep worse. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think that's what, what we were saying before, that our bodies change as we get older, going through perimenopause menopause, postmenopause, expect that our sleep patterns are going to change. And that doesn't mean there's anything wrong and doesn't mean you're going to have to feel worse. But first is once we know what to expect, then we can prepare for it, come up with a plan to deal with the changes. Yeah. Do you think that there's, you know, there's a lot of people who just kind of have this identity, you know, of like, I'm a bad sleeper, I'm a poor sleeper, like, I just, you know, I'm kind of like a hopeless case when it comes to sleep. Do you think that that is, well, first of all, I believe that that's self fulfilling, right? When you believe that, then of course, that's going to be your experience. But are there people where just like the best they can really get to with concerted effort is like, just okay? Or do you really believe like, and we, we can really get to a pretty good place with everybody? Right. So I think that that's both. One is, is, is self-fulfilling. When you keep saying that, then you're probably, then you're giving yourself also an excuse of not working on it because this is just how I am. Number two, it's also working on that expectation. So for these quote unquote bad sleepers, yeah, their ideal sleep or their perfect sleep may not look the same as someone else who sleep seven, eight hours and wake up only a few times, 
their ideal sleep may be six hours, four nights out of the week is good, three nights they suffer a little bit, but that is their perfect sleep. And so aligning again, that expectation. And so knowing that you can work towards that and that is your goal, that's, that, that's how I would work with someone like that. Yeah. So it's like basically reframing what success is essentially like, you know, what, like having a goal that's, that's achievable and reasonable and reachable. Yeah. Okay. I love that. I love that. Yeah. But and then the ultimate goal again is how you feel. So, you know, sleep, like we said, it's not defined by the hours, by how many times you wake up, but how do you feel? How do you feel? Yeah. Okay. Yes. Okay. Now, what about people who share a bed with somebody and that whoever that is, whether that's an adult or a child, <laughs> wakes them up? So like, you know, snoring is a big thing or, you know, restless legs or just, you know, getting up to go to the bathroom a lot or even their pager going off in the night when they're taking call potentially. I know that happens for me sometimes with my husband. A lot of my sleep uh, like hygiene habits are honestly, to try to not have what he does interrupt me <laughs> or like mm-hmm. bother me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So that, uh, yeah, that's definitely a problem. And and what you were saying, how partner, so I'm, what I would say is sharing a bed, hopefully partner is what we're dealing with. For anybody who is dealing with sharing the bed with their child or a pet, that's another topic that we have to work on because that should just, that should not happen. I know it's not easy, but that is just, yeah. And right. culturally it can be hard too. Cause for some cultures, it really is like part of the culture is the, is the co-sleeping. Yeah. 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 Right. But it, it, it really does a number to sleep when you're sharing bed with the whole family or, or a pet. So with the partner, first thing, if possible, if there's the space, you no, know, if it's possible, king size bed is the minimum. I 100% agree. <laughs> because you have, two adult human bodies sharing a bed. The first thing you need is space. Yes, yes. And then for the, for the rest of the stuff is working, working out a plan. So if their pager going off, then maybe on the nights that one of you is on call, you might consider sleeping in separate beds. For snoring, the partner that's snoring, maybe you should have an evaluation, see a doctor, see why they're snoring and potentially get rid of that. And the, the, the other partner who's being bothered by it can consider wearing earplugs. Right, right. I think you just have to get creative to figure out, like, I just like to have a real solutions focused mindset. And that's what I encourage with my clients rather than just like, poor me, this sucks. You know, there's just nothing I can do about it. Instead, just thinking there's got to be something that doesn't even necessarily, because, you know, even just like the idea of sleeping apart for some people is very charged and like, it's can, that's like a whole other thing for a lot of people. But like, even if that's off the table, you know, there's certainly got to be a way that you can figure out a way to at least significantly improve the experience. And you just have to keep trying to figure that out. Like I've talked about, it's been a long time since I talked about it, but I'm sure you're familiar with the chili pad, or I think it's now they call it the Uller or something is like the new version of it or whatever. But, but basically I would just, you know, wake up in sweats for like a week, a month. And I tried for a long time to figure out like, is it related to my cycle? Is it related to what I eat? Is it related whatever? And I could not figure out any pattern and it would just come on whenever it came on. Of course, I'd wake up 
drenched in sweat, totally uncomfortable because of that and didn't want to spend the money on the chili pad. That was the dumbest part about the whole thing. I'm like, maybe it'll go away. Maybe it'll go away. It wouldn't go away. Finally bought that thing and it has changed my life. It helps me so much. And I'm really now like they have got to create a travel version because now my whole setup at home is so great. When I leave, (laughs) I really miss it. (laughs) Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's amazing. It's, it is. And this is not sponsored. Like I'm just a raving fan. Like I love that thing. It is, it's just for anybody who has temperature, you know, issues, which I think, you know, just. I live in an old house. And so sometimes like it's hot in the summer and, you know, it can be really cold in the winter because I live in Wisconsin and it just, it just totally, I can just set it to exactly how I want it. So yeah. Yeah. And uh, for hot flashes, that would for hot flashes. Yes. Yes, totally. It just, and what I always say about it, I'll just say it again for anybody who hasn't heard is that it doesn't feel like it's cooling me. Like what it feels like it's doing is pulling the extra heat off. And, and it may sound like semantics, like what's the difference, but it's like versus like cold being put on me. Like people are like, Oh, I can't stand being cold. I'm like, no, but it's not making you cold. It's like, you're still warm, but the extra heat that you don't want, it just leaves you so that you're the right heat. And it's just, it's great. I love it. So anyway, <laughs> okay. So how do you know that you need to get some help with sleep? Because obviously you work with women to or do you work with men too, or mostly just women? I have worked with men and women. Uh, my telehealth practice is focused on women. Okay. So, so like, you know, there's going to be people who are like, yeah, my sleep's not great. Like, how do they know? How should, how will they know? Like, I, I need to reach out. I mean, there's obviously got to be a, a, a certain level of a pain point, right? Where people are like, I need some help. I need someone to help me figure this out. What would you kind of say for someone who's like, eh, I could, I'm kind of on the fence. Right. So this is, I think this comes to, I mean, sometimes it's just, some people just know for for the patients that I see in the office, they come to a doctor's office because they they just know there's a problem. Other people have told them they've been feeling tired. They know. Um, And that's usually people who have suffered for a long time. And finally they decided to, to make the change. But for the rest of us, this comes to why sleep is important. And I think the bottom line is in addition to all the fancy or you know, scientific uh, studies that have shown about how bad sleep associated with dementia, health related stuff, but sleep is also the one thing that when you, if you're able, it's the one thing, if you're able to do it well, it makes everything else easier. So for whatever whatever it is that you're trying to do, sleep is going to make it easier. And without regular full night's rest, you'll you cannot be at your at your best doing it. So, you know, the 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 examples I give to people, if you want to be a better parent, you want to be fully present with your kid, uh, you want to come up with the right answers to their questions. You want to just enjoy and savor every moment when you're with them as they grow up. You need sleep. You want to be a better doctor. You want to give your best to every patient. Keep up with the medical literature. Be dependable for your colleagues. You need sleep. If you want to lose weight, you want to get to your goal weight. Maintain the weight. Adopt a lifestyle and not just a fad. You need sleep. 
So sleep is also a tool that can be used strategically to get you what you want to achieve your goals. Yeah, I love that. That's, that's amazing. And you know, here's the thing is like, you say that. And I think, you know, everybody listening is feeling like she's right. I know she's right. You know, it's like, we know that I know for myself, I'm totally happier. I'm a nicer mom. I just my experience of my life is better. Just everything is better when I get enough sleep. And it, it's just, you know, yet still sometimes, I mean, the one that we didn't even talk about, like getting sucked into, you know, like binge watching a show or, you know, how like all the streaming services, like just go right to the next thing, or they leave you with a cliffhanger and you've got to find out what's going to happen. And then all of a sudden it's one thirty in the morning and like, oh shoot. And you know, or you've gotten the second wind and you feel like you can't fall asleep. I mean, all of that comes down to just having that plan for yourself and, and following it. It's, it's so similar to planning your food and it doesn't really matter if you, if you want to eat it in the moment, you should just do it because long-term, you know, it's going to help you. It sounds like it's the same thing here. It's like, I understand you want to stay up. Sometimes I think about myself as like that part of me that wants to stay up is like that, you know, eight-year-old who's like, I want to stay up till midnight. And you're like, I know you think you do, but trust me, you don't, you know, (laughs) (laughs) Right. Yeah. But I I think it's also that it, it, I think it's probably like, like losing weight and what you would tell your clients is um, we can also have fun doing it. No, it it doesn't mean that if you want to commit to your sleep, you can never stay up late again. You can never sleep in late again. Then you can always make an exception. You will learn what to do when you want to make those exceptions so that it doesn't evolve into a chronic sleep problem, disorder, and also how you can still feel relatively refreshed on those days. There, there are things that you can learn um, that can help you to you know, just overall be a good sleeper. Yeah, I think I think that's that's actually really great because that makes it so much more doable long term. Like just like with eating, right? When you feel like you have to do it perfectly and then you're like white knuckling it, following some plan, and the minute you eat off plan, you're like, screw all of it, and you're like, you know, diving headfirst into the bucket of ice cream and you've blown it all. You know, it's kind of the same thing with sleep where you're like, you know, and I've done this too. Like I'm, you know, get doing really good and going to bed when I want to be going to bed and then stay up too late or whatever happens, and then it's almost like I never had that plan in the first place. It's like, what plan? (laughs) Was there a plan? I forgot. But I'm sure working with someone like you really can help with that, you know, sort of recovery and how do you get yourself back on track again and, and make that make that more the norm, you know, so the exceptions truly are exceptions. And another way I like to think about it is, you know, how we all like taking me time or facial massage or just going out with the with the girlfriends sleep is the ultimate me time. It is really the ultimate form of self-care. So it's when we can shut down everything, stop giving, because that's what, as women, we do all the time. We're constantly giving our time, our care, our focus, our bodies to everybody around us. But sleep is when we are to ourselves and we just focus on this inner biological spring that rejuvenates and restores our mind and body. I mean, it, it, if you think of it, it's kind of a fun time. You know, it, it, it's not a sacrifice. Uh, it's Especially if the sleep is good, right? If you're not, if you can fall asleep relatively easy and, and you're not tossing and turning and things like that, then, and you wake up refreshed, it's like, oh, that was so great. <laughs> yeah, well, but that's about being in charge. Like if you have learned to be in charge of your sleep, then yes, then 
and you feel refreshed when you wake up, then it is really a fun thing to do. Yeah. You know, one thing I just, I feel, you know, sort of called to mention here is when I was, I don't know that I did this so much when I was a resident, but, you know, for 10 years in practice, especially when things weren't necessarily, you know, going super great at work, the night before I needed to go to work, I'd often stay up late. Or if I was working, you know, two days back to back or several days back to back, if, if, even if I was so tired from working all day and I wasn't on call, right. So no reason not to go to bed, I would stay up late you know, just how it goes, right? You think I'm going to go to bed and then you don't, and then you don't, and then you keep, you know, and then before you know it, you're not getting enough sleep. And then you're mad at yourself for not getting that sleep. And, and it took me till after I actually left my practice to figure out what that was all about. And I just feel like I want to share that here because I spend so much time beating myself up over that thinking something is wrong with me that I didn't have like good discipline. Like what was my problem? Why couldn't I just go to sleep? But here's really what it was. And this is where mindset really comes in is my experience of my job was not super positive. And so I wanted, I would make myself stay up later because if I went to sleep, that meant that the morning came earlier and like sooner, you know, it felt like morning came sooner because I was, you know, asleep that whole time. And then I'd have to go back to work, which I didn't want to go and do. And, and so that was the whole point of that. Like if I was so tired, why wouldn't I just go to sleep? Because then before I knew it, I was going to have to go back to work again. And it's kind of like if you've ever had like a, a stressful work dream and then you wake up and then you got to go to work and you're like, I just worked a full day in my dream. Like, what the heck? I already feel like I'm done working, you know, like it just was like it, it was it, it makes so much sense to me now that what I really needed help with was, you know, my, my beliefs, my thoughts, like the whole way I was interpreting my day at work so that going to work didn't feel like such a hardship, didn't feel as difficult as it did so that I wouldn't be staying up late to try to avoid, you know, try to extend that, that conscious period of time where I wasn't going to work. And so I I think it, it all plays in, but I just want to just mention that for anybody who is just thinking like, you know, I don't know. I just, I don't know why I can't get myself to go to bed sooner. It could be related to that. And so it may not really actually have that much to do with the sleep. It's much more to do with how you're spending your day. Right, right, right. Yeah. And, and that's what, why sleep is multidimensional. And in this aspect, yeah, it, it's psychological, it's mental. It's, it's not just physical. Right, right, right. Yeah. Well, I love it. Oh my gosh. It's so good. And, and really, you know, every, like everyone knows like a great night of rest is like, so good. <laughs> You're just sort of like, feels so good afterward. It's so awesome. Okay. So you tell, tell everybody how they can find out more about you and how they can work with you, what kind of services you offer. Yeah. So if you're ready to level up your nights and you strategically use sleep to help achieve your goals, I'd love to work with you. Schedule a consultation, go into my website at www.bhisleephealth. So it's B H A I sleephealth.com. If you're wondering if BHI is the right fit or you just have questions about the best place to get sleep resources, shoot me a DM. I'm always on my social media platforms that's LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram. Also, if you want to collaborate, I would love to speak to your audience about sleep. Email me. It's uh, Dr. Carol, D-R-C-A-R-O-L at com. And just so everybody knows, like, just tell everybody what the backstory is of how you named 
<laughs> your your program. Bihai is my daughter's Chinese name. So B means jade and Hai means ocean. And I named the practice after her as a gesture to represent the next generation of women. Uh, women are the backbone of our society. And when we take care of ourselves, the whole society benefits. I 100% agree with that. When we are, when we're not getting good sleep and we're, I mean, the whole, the whole, everybody feels it. Family, it it's, has far reaching effects. So yeah, totally. That's, that's amazing. Okay. Awesome. Carol, thank you so much for coming on sharing all of your wisdom with everybody. Thank you, Katrina. That was great. Ready to start making progress on your weight loss goals? For lots of free help, go to KatrinaUbelMD.com and click on free resources. Thank you.